I have found some amazing statistics in the research data that in a book entitled The Day America Told the Truth. I was telling this to a friend this week. He said, now what day was this? I said, the day of the researchers conducted their study. (laughs) I probably don't believe they were telling the truth even when they were doing this. But James Patterson and Peter Kim, the authors of this book, said Americans lie. They lie more than they have ever thought possible, these two people speaking, before they conducted their study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. (laughs) I believe that if you like. But the authors found the following information. 91% of Americans lie regularly. The majority of us find it hard to go through the week without lying. When it comes to conscious premeditated lies, one in five cannot make it through a single day without lying. Listen to what the author's findings as who lies most in America. The study tells us the following. I'm not saying that they are saying this, okay? Men lie more than women. Hello, elbows flying. Please. Young men lie more than older men. Homosexuals and bisexuals lie more than heterosexuals. Blacks lie more than whites. Catholics lie more than Protestant. And both lie more than Jews. That's what they said. Unemployed people lie more than those with jobs. And poor lie more than rich. And the liberals lie more than conservatives. I like that one. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. As I was preparing my message today, I found something very frightening in the findings of this study. And the thing that is so frightening, that's so chilling, is this. That two out of three Americans believe that there is nothing wrong with telling a lie sometime. That's scary. If that is accurate. How do we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, how are we as believers in the Word of God, those of us who believe in absolutes, in right and wrong, how are we to face this epidemic which from what I have learned is invading the Christian church, invading the churches with an incredible speed. i tell you how the Lord brought me to this conclusion, that lying is a stronghold in our lives, just like any other strongholds, such as addiction, such as lust and bitterness and irresponsibility and laziness and fear and a host of other strongholds that invade the Christian heart and the Christian mind. A stronghold can only be dealt with, please listen carefully, a stronghold can only be dealt with decisively and ruthlessly, not half-heartedly and not by rationalizing it or explaining it or justifying it. As we continue in this series of studies from the life of Abraham, we're going to discover that lying was one of the strongholds that was in Abraham's life. That he ultimately, in chapter 20, had to deal with decisively and ruthlessly. God visited Abraham and spoke to him face to face. And then he promised him that Sarah will have a baby. So, obviously, supernaturally, miraculously, Sarah and Abraham become young again. Supernaturally, 
The wheels of time began to reverse, especially in Sarah's life. And she did it without any plastic surgery or using the olive oil. (laughs) She became younger again (laughs) and very attractive like she once was. Obviously, this supernatural rejuvenation that the Lord has brought to her life. As you want to make sure that when, when Sarah's going to have a baby, imagine a 90-year-old woman, you know, walking with a stick and a pillow under her arm going to the Lamas classes. You know. So God intervened supernaturally and made her young again. But as both Sarah and Abraham become younger at this point of their life, The strongholds of the past came back into the life. Please hear me right. With every blessing of any kind comes a temptation. Somebody gets into a problem in their marriage, and they cry to the Lord, and the Lord hears their prayers. And the first thing they do, they begin to focus on the blessing and on the fulfillment of God's answer of that prayer, and they forget the blesser. Someone gets into financial difficulty. They cry to the Lord, Oh Lord, I have not been faithful with the money that you have given me before. Oh Lord, I have not honored you with the blessings you've given me before. Oh Lord, if you bless me again, I will never repeat those mistakes. Well, the Lord blesses them again. And before long, they go back to the old ways. I would be a rich man if I have taken a dollar for every time a person came and said, pray for me, I need the Lord to bless me again, I'm going through financial difficulty. And then the Lord answered their prayers, and if they really followed with their promise. Most of them I haven't seen. (laughs) Disappeared after God blessed them. Abraham and Sarah decide to take a winter vacation. So they go down through the Negev, into the Gaza Strip, there on the beach, (laughs) And to the city of Gerard. And there they encounter King Abimelech. And there Abraham falls back to his old ways. He falls back to his old nature. He falls back to his fear. And he falls back to lying. He said to himself, oh boy, what if Abimelech like Pharaoh of old. And he will see how rejuvenated and young and beautiful Sarah is. And he decides to take her. And Abraham again becomes very concerned about his wife's husband. (laughs) Listen, all lying has personal reasons. I don't care how you explain the way. It's all selfish and self-centered. Now, the thing that I began to struggle with as I read this passage, I said, now... After all the blessing that God has given Abraham, after all the first-hand dealings that he had with the Lord, after all the lessons that God has given him in trusting him and trusting his promises, after the incredible revelations of seeing the Lord face to face, after all of that, you would have thought Abraham would stop being afraid and would not lie again. Yet once again here, as in Egypt before, Abraham tries to pass Sarah off as his sister. In verse 2 of chapter 20, Abimelech admires Sarah's beauty, and he takes her to his place. Well, here she is once again, stuck in a compromising situation. A married woman, captive in the harem of a man 
who is not her husband. Fortunately, again, as God interfered with Pharaoh, as God bailed her out with Pharaoh, he bails her out again before Abimelech could touch her. And the Lord reveals to Abimelech her true identity. But I want you to notice one thing that happened here after this lie that did not happen when Abraham lied to Pharaoh. And it will show you the spiritual maturity that Abraham had attained. Earlier with Pharaoh, Abraham never confessed. You cannot find it anywhere. But this time, Abraham reaches the spiritual maturity that he immediately repented of his sins. He immediately asked the Lord for it, and then he prays for Abimelech. In chapter 21, you finally see the Lord fulfilling his long-expected promise to Sarah. God always keeps his appointments with you. He always keeps his appointment with us. We get impatient because the Lord does not come through when and how we want Him to come through. We get angry with God because things don't go our way. We wander off and try to do our own thing and force God's hand to perform a miracle like Abraham did because He didn't come when He thought He should come. But through it all, our faithful God holds our hands. Through it all, our faithful God holds us close. He wouldn't let us wander off. Through it all, He teaches us some painful lessons. Through it all, He watches over us and sees that our feet does not slip. What a great God we worship. And on this point, on this appointed day, He keeps His promise to Sarah. That womb that has long been dead becomes alive again. God keeps His appointment with Sarah. And here the Lord is not only demonstrating His sovereign will, His supernatural power, but He was preparing the minds of the world for another miraculous birth nearly 2,000 years later. But that latter birth is going to be of a virgin, and she will deliver the Messiah. In verses 3 to 7 of chapter 21, look at it. In obedience, Abraham follows the Lord's direction of the sign of the covenant and Isaac is circumcised on the eighth day. In verse 8, when Isaac grew up, possibly around five, Abraham and Sarah throw this incredible, humongous party in the feast of weaning him. Sarah notices that in the midst of this festivity, past consequences of sins have come back to haunt them. Ishmael has developed a sibling rivalry, and he was resenting Isaac. By this time, Ishmael was about 17 years old. You know, sibling rivalry started with the original sin. It's part of the original sin. It started with Cain and Abel, and it continues ever since. It hasn't stopped. Thank God for His grace that gives us such incredible love to our siblings because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But by the time Ishmael was 17, he becomes resentful of Isaac. Because for 13 years, Ishmael has been the focus and the center of his daddy's Abraham's attention. For 13 years, Abraham thought that Ishmael was the fulfillment of God's promise. But Isaac came along. Ishmael's position now became irrevocably different, and he doesn't like it. And throwing a big, humongous party like this for for Isaac didn't help either. Now, please hear me right. 
the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac has very deep spiritual implication. The conflict between Ishmael and Isaac symbolizes the conflict in our Christian life. If Isaac represents salvation by grace and the promise of God, Ishmael represents the stronghold of sin. He represents salvation through works and self-righteousness. Galatians 5.17 tells us that the flesh is constantly sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Strongholds in the life of a Christian is like Ishmael in the life of Abraham. They need to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with decisively. They need to be gotten rid of and they be gotten rid of immediately. You need to know how to be free from the strongholds in your life. In verse 10, when Sarah detects Ishmael's resentment, she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid will not be an heir with my son. And here we see once again, domestic tranquility has been disturbed, have been shattered again, because the work of the flesh will always be accompanied with strife. Past sins that are not dealt with at the foot of the cross and covered with the blood of Christ will always raise their ugly head. They will always come back to haunt you until you bury them at the foot of the cross. Now the Greek word for stronghold or koros means a hard place. It is often referred to a certain place in the battlefield that has an entrenchment or a fortress. A command post, because always that's the strongest part of a battlefield. The command post is set in that force. In our minds and in our hearts, there are strongholds. There are command posts of the enemy from which he comes and he works all the surrounding areas. Satan comes in and sits in his command post and he disturbs your peace. He sits in his command post and he stomp your Christian growth. He comes to his command post to hassle you and hassle your family and to harass you. He uses his command post to keep you spiritually off balance. And these command posts in our lives are the places in our minds and in our hearts where the enemy stores his arsenals. And he uses them to torment us. And abusers. And that is why Paul tells the Ephesians, he said, Neither give place to the devil. What's that mean? It means that Christians can and do give place to the devil. These strongholds in our lives, whether they are lying or cheating or addiction of alcoholism or drugs, whether holding grudges or bitterness or selfish ambitions or lust or abomination or homosexuality or condemnation, whatever they may be, they are a gateway through which the devil comes in and he sets up his command post. Ishmael represents the stronghold of disobedience. Ishmael represents the stronghold, the command post of do-it-yourself type Christianity. Now please listen. This is very important. It is not shameful to have stronghold in your life. It is not shameful. We all have to deal with them. 
It will be shame if you keep these strongholds in your life and not deal with them decisively and ruthlessly. All Christians have some form of strongholds in their lives. They're hangovers from the days before Christ. And the difference between those who live a life of victory and those who live a life of defeat, it is not because there are some Christians who are stronger than others. It is not because there are some Christians who are better than others. It is not because there are super Christians and inferior Christians. No. But those who have experienced victory in their walk with the Lord are those who have learned to name the strongholds in their lives and are willing to call upon the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ to pull down these strongholds. Those who keep strongholds in their life, keep it in the closet as it were, for whatever reason, they have fallen a prey to the lie of the devil. And you'll continue to live in defeat until you deal with it. Decisively. If the devil can keep you in shame and embarrassment, if the devil can keep you convinced of the lie that you're the only Christian who struggle with these things, who have problem with this, or have defeat in your life, then he will succeed in keeping you defeated and continue to live a defeated life. Jesus said, The truth will set you free. Now I want you to notice, he did not say, Knowledge of the truth will set you free. There are a lot of people going around with their head full of knowledge. It doesn't do them a bit of good. It is the truth itself as it invades my life, as it go as a searchlight into my life and expose the strongholds of the enemy, as the truth comes and I submit to the truth, practically speaking, that will set me free. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6, that we can pull down these strongholds. Every time you try, the, the, the strongholds, the enemy comes in and they try these, put these strongholds in your mind, try to nest them in your mind and nest them in your heart. You can toss them out by the power of the truth. Here's what Paul said. We are not to try to demolish the strongholds in the flesh by the world's method. I want to tell you something. One million hours of godless counseling isn't going to do you a bit of good. The world's methodology isn't going to help you. Your problem, my problem, are spiritual problems. And they've got to be dealt with spiritually. Because only the spiritual weapons of warfare are mighty enough, said Paul, to do the job and do it right. <laughs> These spiritual weapons are available to us. And Paul said they can cast down imagination. They can pull down high things. They can bring our thoughts captive to Christ. God has given us legal weapons with which we can fight and win. Listen, in the spiritual warfare, you are either a victim or a victor. And the difference is not because somebody knows more Bible verses than you do. And someone knows exactly how to fight and how to win. And we have them right here. We have the legal weapons. Revelation 12, 11 tells us that by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word, we can win. And when the light of the Word of God comes in, it helps me to expose the strongholds. When the power of the Word of God comes into my life, it disposes these strongholds and throws them away. So by sending Hagar and Ishmael away, Abraham was cutting the last threads of his own strongholds. Yet God in His grace and in His mercy 
He promised Abraham that He'll take care of both. I want to share with you one last thought from chapter 21 of Genesis before I go and talk about deliverance from strongholds. In chapter 21, verse 21, Hagar took a wife for Ishmael from the land of Egypt. Egypt was the symbol of all that is worldly, now become the place where Ishmael went for a wife. There's a principle here, and it is this. The fruit of the flesh will always end up in marriage with the world. Ishmael, the fruit of the flesh. Ishmael, the product of what happened when Abraham tried to bypass God. And he ended up in Egypt, finding a wife. Egypt for Abraham represented going away from the will of God, walking out on the will of God. Egypt for Lot represented the enticement and the seduction of materialism. Now from Egypt, a marriage partner is found for Ishmael. You know, whenever I hear a preacher preaches on something, then I begin to identify. I always want to say, okay, how can I go about this? How can I apply this message? How can I be liberated from strongholds in my life? Whether they be lying or lusting, or addiction to alcohol, or addiction of any kind. Whatever the stronghold is in your life, you know it. And if you don't, I pray the Spirit of God will reveal it to you today. I have to tell you at the outset that the complete and final liberation will come only when we see Jesus face to face. That is the truth of the Scripture. But I believe here and now the Lord has given us weapons. He has given us ways and means by which we can experience victory now. You know what it's like when you go into a room, dark room, nervousness and fear and anxiety. And then you flip the on switch and fear is reversed. And letting the Word of God exposes the dark corners of your life and my life. Letting the Word of God exposes what you have come to believe it's impossible to get rid of. It is impossible to overcome. Letting the Word of God expose what is considered impossible is the first step. And as you are exposed to the Word of God, what you have come to accept as powerful Strong bondage, something you just can't get away from. It becomes flimsy. It becomes weak. And has no strength whatsoever. But exposure is only part of the process. Any belief system which opposes faith causes you bondage of all kinds. And it's a lie. And a lie that you have to defeat today. And I want you to remember for every lie there is a biblical truth that can provide counterattack. If you have believed the lie that you are weak and your enemy strong and therefore you should give up on trying to live the victorious life, that's a lie. The truth is when you're weak his strength is perfect in your weakness and the victory is yours. God willed it so. If you believe the lie that says because you have failed, therefore you are a failure, that is a lie. The truth is, 
Though you have failed, you have been redeemed from the curse. And you can do all things through Christ who continuously strengthens you. If you believe the lie that because someone rejected you, therefore you are a reject, it's a lie. The truth is, Jesus died for you and God has accepted you in Christ Jesus and therefore you're not a reject. Whatever your stronghold may be, whatever bondage is holding you today, you can defeat it and have victory over it in Jesus' name. You can pull it down. You can demolish it by the blood and by the word you can destroy it and you can discard of it because Jesus wills it so thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef recently featured on Leading the Way if you'd like to know more about us please visit ltw.org that's ltw.org